it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here uh, on this Tuesday. We have a lot to discuss. A lot has to do with the war of the Middle East. We know what's happening, how big it could get, the lack of response from the administration. And now at this hour, right now, uh, four hostage families of loved ones held somewhere in Gaza, we believe, uh, right now are having a press conference to get the attention. What are the objectives of the administration? Do you believe this? They have to call a press conference for the president of the United States to care that they've been taken hostage by Hamas. This is insane. Uh, Dan Hoffman is standing by. Alan West at the bottom of the hour, the lieutenant colonel. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've come here today to declare our independence from the tyranny of corruption. But to do that, I must first declare my own independence. Independence from the Democratic Party. And there you go, because the Democratic Party has left RFK Jr., he says. So is most of his family. He's an independent candidate. 48% approval with Trump supporters, about 15% with Biden supporters. What does it mean for the overall race? We'll discuss it. Number two. Last night in this closed-door meeting with no cell phones and no staff, there were people who stood up and said that they would only elect Kevin McCarthy as speaker. And so I would put the chances at pretty much zero that he's going to be speaker again. It has just made everything much more complicated in the choices they face, Jim Jordan or uh, Steve Scalise. A Washington Post reporter talking about what's happening now with the speaker race. Speaker search could end tomorrow as Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and the dark horse, this guy named Kevin McCarthy, are now contenders question will anyone convince americans that the republicans can run their house let alone the house number one israel is at war we didn't want this war it was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way but though israel didn't start this war israel will finish it retaliation time israel has quickly put more than 300,000 men and women in uniform, and they were at the storm Gaza, but they're still getting rocketed from Hamas. The place where Gaza is is where 160 hostages are from the West, not just Israelis. Looming an expanded war with Hezbollah in the north and the true conductor of all this terror, Iran. We're going to talk tactics. We're going to talk world reaction and U.S. response with Dan Hoffman. Dan Your reaction, here we are in day four of this military operation. We're in the retaliation time, but Hamas is still sending rockets into Israel. Yeah, it's it's a very dangerous situation, and I think as we're watching Gaza, we can't take our eye off Israel's second and third fronts. That would be Lebanon, where Lebanese Hezbollah stands poised, ready to to attack Israel uh, with great ferocity. Uh, And then their third front, which would be Syria and the Golan Heights. And so the United States can help Israel by collecting intelligence on those threats. Uh, But Israel has to be prepared for the potential for a wider war. Meaning Hezbollah on the northern front, or are you looking for something else besides uh, Hezbollah? 
certainly Hezbollah on the northern front, on that northern front, and then the potential that there could be attacks emanating from Syria as well. And uh, you know, I think right now, at least, uh, Iran has to feel like they've accomplished what they wanted, which is that Israel is going to go into Gaza. I think that's what Hamas has wanted all along. That's why they uh, unleashed hell on southern Israel and and took hostages into Gaza. Uh, and, and brutalized innocent Israeli citizens. Uh, they know that, that they're suicidal. Hamas is. They're going to lose a lot of, of, of their fighters, and they'll lose Palestinian, uh, Palestinian civilians as well. But they want Israel to spill a lot of blood and treasure, and they want to destroy Israel's reputation, and even more importantly, any potential for reconciliation between Israel and, uh, and Saudi Arabia. That's what Hamas wants. That's what uh, Iran wants. So Washington Post has talked that this planning has been going on for at least a year. Iran gave millions of dollars, uh, according to Western sources, uh, to surround Israel with paramilitary. And they've done that with Hezbollah. They've done that with Islamic Jihad. They've done that with Hamas. But now they've given them uh, millions of dollars in weapons manufacturing. So they're able to 70 to 100 million. That was in 2020 and 2021. This pace could have picked up as well as tactics. It looks like Hezbollah might have supplied a lot of the rockets, but the drones are not hard to make. And the military tactics is something that Iran is more familiar with. So we're seeing Iran's hands. They're the orchestra. So knowing that and knowing that Iran and, and you say that Hezbollah wants Israel to go in, what should Israel do? Well, Israel has to go in, and I think we've reached a tipping point where Israel can no longer really feel comfortable existing as a state as long as Hamas enjoys ungoverned space in Gaza. Lebanese Hezbollah is a different story. I mean, that's that's a very serious war, and they've gone down that path before in the past with great uh, suffering, suffering grave consequences as a result. But I don't think there's any doubt but that Israel has to go in and and deal with Hamas, no matter the repercussions to them internationally. And it drives home the point, which I think you've been talking a lot about this morning on Fox and Friends. What is the U.S. relationship with Iran? Are we going to provide comfort and assistance to our enemy by giving them this $6 billion? I mean, it's a distinction without a difference. They can use that money on humanitarian things. And yes, it was money that they should receive from South Korea for oil exports and all that's true, but it's $6 billion that they won't have to spend uh, or that they can spend on guns, uh, to use Vladimir Putin's words about Ukraine, you know, in his own budget, guns instead of butter. And uh, that's, a, that's a serious issue for us, I think. Well, I think also it's not just about $6 billion. They're getting us distracted. I'm not. It's a head fake. It is about releasing sanctions. It's allowing them produce instead right. of 400 million barrels of oil a day, uh, 4 billion barrels of oil a day. It's about putting uh, – they had 4 billion in reserves. Now they had 70 billion in reserves. And they use that money not to make their people's lives better, but to be able to better finance these paramilitary groups and foment terror in the region. That's exactly right. And they have made it clear, the Iranians, that Israel must be destroyed, that you must – wipe Israel off the face of the map. So that begs the question of whether Israel can coexist with Iran. Israel was moving along diplomatically with the Abraham Accords and the potential for a deal with Saudi Arabia. And those two things, you know, fighting Hamas and and reconciliation with Sunni Arab states, especially Saudi Arabia, probably mutually exclusive for the time being. Again, that's what Iran wants. Uh, And the United States should be stepping in 
diplomatically to press those Sunni Arab states uh, not to lose faith in the diplomatic process, as well as making it more clear than we have, in my opinion at least, that we stand ready to support Israel in the event that Lebanese Hezbollah thinks about opening up a second front. We need to be a bit more forceful about that. I'll be looking for what President Biden delivers today from his bully pulpit when he speaks reportedly at 10 this morning. I'm not optimistic. What about the Secretary of State putting out this now-deleted tweet, along with the Turkish Foreign Minister, Hakeem Fadan? He says, he and uh, Foreign Minister Hakeem Fadan and I spoke further on Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel. I encourage, uh, along with the Foreign Minister, for a ceasefire and the release of all hostages held by Hamas. Really? A ceasefire after a thousand? Now we got the number confirmed. Over a thousand Israelis killed and about 2,000 minimum wounded, and the wounded are still coming in and they're still being rocketed? What type of insanity is that from our Secretary of State? Now that's, that, you know, a lot of, we've been comparing this attack on Israel to 9-11. That would have been like President Bush standing in the rubble there at the World Trade Center talking about a ceasefire with al-Qaeda if they promise not to attack us again. I mean... Like Colin Powell. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know who... Or Colin Powell, sure. Uh, I was just t- thinking of that moment when President Bush yeah. so eloquently, you know, was out there in the rubble of, of the World Trade Center. So they're going to hear from us now. Um, so... I don't know who or if anybody coordinated on those talking points, but uh, that's embarrassing. And uh, and also, let's remember that Turkey has supported Hamas. And so making some sort of an an, op- an open uh, appeal with Turkey, I mean, I think we can stand on our own here. Uh, but, but doing yeah. it with Turkey was odd. That, that, I found that to be quite strange, frankly. Well, you're very diplomatic. So I want you to hear John Kirby responding to this question about hostages, uh, which we now we know for sure are being held in Gaza. Listen, cut five. We can't confirm that they are, in fact, holding hostages. Um, we are working literally by the hour to try to get more information about these unaccounted for Americans. The truth is we don't have a solid uh, idea of how many Total or unaccounted for? Well, you know, we got an idea. Okay. Um, so just and- so you know how, how muddled this is and how little faith I have in their communications department of the White House, right now there's a press conference going on with the families of the hostages. So these families are so desperate for some attention and a game plan, they're calling a press conference to get the president's attention. And his admiral press secretary says, I can't confirm they have hostages. Why don't you ask the people that are trying to get a hold of you whose family members are being held as hostages? How insane is that? Well, look, that's just poor communication. And it's so important for an administration to break through the fog of war and inform our citizens, not just our citizens, but our allies overseas and our adversaries of what we're seeing and what we plan to do about it. And that's been lacking, frankly. This is a crisis that's been going on now for days uh, since Saturday. And, uh, you know, one of my old bosses at CIA, when we had a big flap or there was an issue of great importance to our to our national policy, would say, look, this isn't like fine wine getting better uh, with age. you got to move on this. And I just don't see the, the alacrity that we would like to see from this administration on a, on a crisis in the Middle East that, as you rightly point out, impacts American citizens. Uh, That's, uh, you know, it calls for real strategy and, and a coordinated response, which we haven't seen.
And can I just bring this up, too, just to finish up on my other point? I don't really know the foreign ministers of these countries and this NATO nation with Turkey in there. I know there are advantages to having Turkey in there, but they have the S-400 missile defense system from Russia. They don't seem like an ally. This guy, foreign minister, is described by Israel as this. Hakan Fadan was the intelligence chief who presided over the establishment of a Hamas headquarters in Turkey that included an active terrorist commander directing attacks in the West Bank. And he is offering a joint statement with our secretary of state. No wonder the people of the Middle East and our allies in the West are confused about the so-called adults in the room now with the keys to the country. Yeah, I know Hakan Fidan. I met him when he was director of Turkey's intelligence service. He's a serious, serious, uh, you know, intel- senior official uh, and very close to, to Erdogan. Uh, but look, Israel and Turkey have had their issues, particularly over Hamas uh, over the years, and they've cut diplomatic ties. They're back on now, but they were cut for a period of time. Uh, as I said, I, I, we've got to stand on our own here when it comes to U.S. foreign yes. policy and, and our national security strategy, and we don't have to just align ourselves with with Turkey on this. I think Secretary Blinken was looking for a way out, but again, I don't think he coordinated his talking points with with his with his uh, White House team, and it, it makes us look like we're bungling along uh, without a real strategy. But that's why the president needs to get up on his bully pulpit and speak for the administration. At the end of the day, that's what matters most. You know, what bothers me is, you know, I look at George Bush and people that are out there listening right now didn't vote for him. That's fine. But if you don't like the way Bush talks, you got Colin Powell. All right. Donald Rumsfeld, you might not agree with him, but, man, the guy can communicate. And then you look at Condoleezza Rice. Man, you, you might think that um, a national security advisor, she could have been better or or a secretary of state, she could have been better. That's fine. But, man, they can communicate and they got they have standing and they got they got respect. And you, you disagree with Dick Cheney, but he know he could sit down and meet the press, face the nation at the same time and knock it out of the park in the middle of the Iraq war. The only person in this White House then can communicate is Jared Bernstein. Not saying I necessarily agree with him, but I know he can go out there and talk about the economy. Very conversant. And people are saying, you know, why, why isn't the president talking? You know why the president's not talking. Because he's not smooth, he's not clear, he wrestles with the prompter, and people get less secure hearing him speak. I am worried that we not only don't have the A team, we got the E team. Are you? Do you have equal feeling about that? Well, I, I am concerned about that. I'm concerned about the fact that we don't have a Speaker of the House. I'm concerned about the massive, you know, the partisan acrimony between Democrats and Republicans, which you know, usually Democrats and Republicans would come together on matters of, of foreign policy and let politics stop at the water's edge. We're not seeing that either. And the one thing I'll tell you about Israel, look, they thought that their policy of deterrence would work against Hamas, and they were wrong. They focused on West Bank settlements, but they had a lot of internal issues, internal political Tons. issues and conflict over the judiciary. And that weakness that in the Netanyahu government, I think, may have impacted their ability to collect on this threat from Hamas and then uh, and then to be able to respond and preempt these threats before they cause harm. And I think in our own country, it just drives home the point that we've got to do better with our domestic politics. That's not my area of expertise. I focus on seeing the world through the eyes, twisted KGB eyes of Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or – or, or Iraq or right. Syria or terrorists, but but in in this case, and I've seen it when it works, and right. I've seen it when it doesn't. Last and, question, last question, Ed. Yeah. What about Hamas and Lavrov meeting in April? Do you think that happened, and does it work to Russia's advantage to have that relationship? 
Yeah, it definitely works because it's given Russia a lot of leverage. Benjamin Netanyahu, when he was prime minister during the Obama administration, visited Russia tens of more times than he visited the United States because he knew Russia had leverage with Syria uh, and uh, among others, including Hamas. And so that's the way the Russians play it. It's Machiavellian realpolitik, and they want to leverage all of that to poke us in the eye because we're their main enemy. And they love the more unrest. It gets the attention off them. Absolutely. And we did see the Wall Street Journal story today that they had to evacuate their naval fleet out of Crimea because uh, Ukraine's been so effective in their drone attack. So that's that's good news for the Ukrainians. Thanks so much, Dan. All right. Have a good rest of the week. Uh, former CIA station chief uh, Dan Hoffman. When we come back, your turn. Brian Kilmeade What going on. We're covering everything with the war as it happens. Don't move. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, we're just watching, believe it or not, this press conference. Uh, the Admiral Kirby does not know if we have any hostages over there. Well, we just got uh, in Tel Aviv, uh, Israel right now. They're American families pleading for the return of their missing loved ones. Hostages. And it's amazing to me that with an embassy there, oh, that's right, uh, we don't have an ambassador. But we have a, we have an office with an embassy there. They could not inform the White House that there is actual hostages over there, that they are being held in Gaza, and this is their names, and this is what they do, and this is where they were taken. That or they just feel very comfortable not telling us the truth. I don't really know what's worse. I'm going to talk to Lieutenant Colonel about tactics and everything else in the area. He does know the area very well. Uh, As we look at Israel right now, you look at a map. Don't worry about Jordan. Don't even worry about Iraq. Look past Iraq, you look at Iran, and you know that they are, their goal was to surround Israel with paramilitary. In the West Bank, the Al-Aqsa, uh, the Fatah group, led by Mahmoud Abbas, they've been quiet. They could easily light up, as could Hezbollah in the north, and they already have a huge problem in the south. You don't have to worry about Egypt. you got to worry about Hamas and Gaza, who have now opened up the border back to Egypt. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling. Slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival, kidnapping scores of women, children, and elderly, even Holocaust survivors. Hamas terrorists bound, burned, and executed children. 
They are savages. Hamas is ISIS. And just as the forces of civilization united to defeat ISIS, the forces of civilization must support Israel in defeating Hamas. That is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday. We'll see what he says today. We just watched a press conference conclude with uh, in Tel Aviv with America, with the family of Americans who have been captured and brought, we believe, into Gaza if they are, in fact, still alive. And have said they have gotten zero communication with the administration and zero communication with the Israeli government. So they called their own press conference. Now, I know it's crazy in the, with, to be in Israel right now. I get it. I mean, there was reports conflicting that Ben-Gurion Airport was just rocketed. So I understand um, you know, if there hasn't been someone assigned yet to hostages, I don't understand why, but let's just say it's chaos, all right? But I do not understand how our administration has zero communications. And one question among the family members, there were just four family members there. We know there's many more than that uh, of the 160-plus that are being held against their will in Gaza. They said, is anyone here from the U.S. Embassy? Nobody. Can you imagine the U.S. Embassy not showing up in Tel Aviv as American hostage families are asking uh, to see to see where their loved ones are and see if they get a game plan in the administration's attention? Colonel Allen West joins us now, uh, who's seen combat in his day over the course of his 27-year career, uh, also been in the House when it was less chaotic. Colonel, welcome back. Your reaction to the fact that this administration doesn't even know, they couldn't even confirm there were people being held in Gaza. Well, it's good to be with you, Brian, and it's very sad and tragic what we see happening. And I firmly stand with Israel, and I firmly agree with Prime Minister Netanyahu that Hezbollah first uh, and Hamas also must first and foremost be defeated, but they have to be destroyed. And what is very disconcerting about our presidential administration is the enabling uh, effort that they have given to Iran, the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism, to allow this to happen. But when you look at the weekend and you know president biden did not react to it initially i think he it was like seven or eight hours later they threw a barbecue at the white house uh, on sunday and then he called it uh, quits yesterday before noon this does not show the sense of urgency that you would think if you've just had non-americans killed that's confirmed and americans being part of this hostage taking that now they're behind enemy lines and hamas leadership is threatening to murder them in a savage and barbaric manner and film it if they are attacked. So we need to hear something very definitive from the president. And I think it's important that we make the statement that we're going to restore our energy independence. We're going to tighten up the sanctions on Iran. We're going to retrieve back that $6 billion that we gave them. But more importantly, we're going to isolate Hamas and Hezbollah, and we're going to firmly support uh, Israel and provide whatever resources necessary to destroy Hamas, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad. I want you to hear what it's like uh, being held hostage from a family member uh, kidnapped by Hamas. Uh, talked on American Reports yesterday about seeing the video of the kidnapped family member. Cut 12. Uh, later on this day, I saw, I saw a movie uh, that she's crying and being pushed around by a terrorist from Hamas. I saw blood on the kid's blanket. I saw the, the blood on the, the kidnapper's clothes. And since then, uh, this is the only information that we've got. Uh, we tried to reach uh, her mother and, uh, and her husband and, uh, and my, my uncle also, and we couldn't reach anybody. 
And Saturday night, uh, the military succeed to get to New Rose, and then we understand that they are not at home. Everybody is missing. All the six people are missing. Oh. They have children in cages. And I'm watching this four-year-old yeah. little boy being pushed around by these grown men just being thrown around. He, and, and the look on the face is like every four-year-old. Like, why would this be happening? They can't even make sense of it. Two-year-old with the yeah. Hamas killers. This two-year-old little girl just sitting there. She's got, they're going to be put, putting them in cages. Yeah, I think about my own two-year-old grandson and what would that would mean to me. Look, you're not dealing with human beings. Uh, this is the most depraved aspect of our society, and this is a cancer that has to be terminated. Uh, and that's how we have to look at it. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that we have people here in the United States of America that are standing up and signing with Hamas. We have a member of the House of Representatives that is flying a flag uh, in front of her office and talking about, you know, supporting them. Uh, this is unconscionable to me. But right now we've got the race for the propaganda war is, is going to start happening. And you already see it happening on some media outlets where all of a sudden the people there in Gaza are are the uh, the victims? Uh, they're not saying anything about those children being in cages or the potential that those two and four year olds are going to be murdered, and they're going to film the murder of these children. So right now is a very tough aspect of leadership because you see and know about these kids being held hostage there. Do you break the momentum? Do you stop doing what you need to do, which is going to Gaza? Do you try to trust these people that they're going to turn over these uh, children and women and these innocent people? Uh, this is a tough aspect of leadership, Brian. I would say it's a tough aspect of leadership and impossible depravement. And yet I'm looking in New York City and seeing hundreds of protesters against Israel and rallies for yeah. Hamas. This is two straight days now. They filled up an entire block. Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. Where, where's the FBI? Shouldn't uh, they have their houses raided since they're out there supporting a terrorist organization, a terrorist organization that has uh, just recently killed Americans and taken Americans hostage? I mean, to me, if you're supporting a terrorist organization, you're aiding and abetting terrorist activity, uh, that should be criminally charged. And so we should not have protests. Look, should we have protests supporting ISIS? Should we have protests supporting al-Qaeda, the Taliban? I mean, what's next? Where do we go? Should we have protests that's going to support the transnational narco-criminal terrorists that we know as the cartels? Something has to change in this country. Uh, so just give you an idea how this all relates to the border, which you're so vigilant to say it's, it's an open, wide-open sieve. Yeah. Uh, Bill Malusian and Griff Jengis were able to get these numbers. 6,386 from Afghanistan have come through our border, 659 from Iran, 123 from Iraq, uh, Pakistan, 1,613, Lebanon, 164, Jordan, 185. Three, we know Muslim Brotherhood, all this terrorist stuff started in the 1920s in Egypt, 3,153. Yeah. So how good should we feel that no terrorists have come into our country? We shouldn't feel good at all. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the uh, the body count numbers from the IDF, they said that they have killed 1,500 Hamas uh, infiltrators. Well, the numbers that you just read out is far more than 1,500. And also, these are the numbers or uh, the, the people that we know about. Think about the one to one and a half million that are here illegally that we don't know about, the, the so-called gotaways. Think about all these single military-aged males that are coming to this country, now to include single military 
binary age males Chinese. So basically, we are setting ourselves up for the exact same thing to happen. But the difference, Brian, is that only two to three percent of uh, civilians in, in Israel, uh, you know, carry weapons or have weapons. I think the number here in America is 60 to 65 percent. But then again, you also hear the left in America talk about how we need to disarm citizens. So they are completely trying to set us up for exactly what you saw happen in Israel. So we'll see what happens. You were in the House. You have your own opinions. You don't march to anyone's drummer, but you do have to at some time act like a team. Uh, I am so infuriated the way these Republicans have been acting, the eight especially. Uh, And then when you watch Speaker uh, McCarthy, former Speaker McCarthy, speak so coherently and uh, so coherently about our foreign policy, the need to support Israel, what is necessary in Ukraine, what is the big picture, and tell everyone why this mission is worthwhile— you realize how aggravating it is. He didn't lose popularity. He lost popularity with a self-serving group of eight people. And now they're going to decide in the next day or two, we think, if there's a speaker. Here's Kevin McCarthy yesterday, cut 33. That's a decision by the conference. I'll allow the conference to make whatever decision. Whether I'm speaker or not, I'm a member of this body. I know what history has had. And I can lead in any position it is. And right now... I realize we need these five actions taken now. He outlined five actions need to support Israel. Nobody in the House could even get a high-level briefing except Akeem Jeffries, uh, uh, the, the minority leader. And now tomorrow they'll have a vote. It'll be Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise. But Ken McCarthy said, listen, you want me to do it, I'll do it. What's your take on how this will turn out? Well, I would hope there are some adults in the room and we can get back to uh, getting a speaker, getting back to regular order, and getting back to conducting the business of the House. We cannot continue on. Look, I don't think there's a leader in the Oval Office, and, and we cannot have no leadership in the House. We definitely don't have a leader as far as the vice presidency. So right now the United States of America is zero for three with the top three positions uh, in, in, in our constitutional republic. That, that is unconscionable. That is unacceptable. So I can understand frustrations that people have as far as budgeting process and things of this nature. The tactic that they used was the wrong tactic, and uh, we cannot have this void. We've got to go in and fill this void, get a leader there so we can get business done in the House of Representatives and we can do what is necessary to protect Israel. I mean, does, what were you watching? What were you thinking when you're watching this and you know that they have a slim majority in one body and they're showing America they're not worthy of having a single message, a single messenger, or even a speaker? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what I saw happen, you know, in January. I understood the 15 different votes. But to say that you would allow one person to be able to present a a motion to vacate, to me, that was insidious. Uh, And what you're doing is elevating uh, an egomaniacal person. And and I think we know who I'm talking about. And look at what he has caused. He has just caused absolute chaos. No one wants to. No one should follow a person who wants to throw a hand grenade on themselves. Uh, and that's exactly what we have seen happen. So uh, let's get back to you know getting a leader in there, getting a speaker of the house, making sure that we can do what is necessary in that legislative body, and most importantly, fix our budgeting process and budgeting system. But also do the things that Kevin McCarthy has talked about. New Gingrich talked about earlier on on uh, Morris with Maria as far as passing bills that show the support to Israel. And also, let's get a speaker that will strip Rashida Tlaib of her committee positions. 
Right, uh, who has a Palestinian flag, posing with a huge Palestinian flag in her office, uh, as well as Cori Bush, yeah. who wants, still wants to defund the police uh, and, and supports uh, Palestinians in Hamas. So um, it's, yeah. it's, inc- it's incredible. I mean, the, the horrific events of Saturday and since, and then the reaction is so disconcerting. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, to, the, to my Jewish friends out there, Israel needs to unleash hell. That's just the bottom line. I think they are. Uh, no doubt about it. Listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. And also, if you prefer to write, go to my website, briankilmead.com. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We need to make sure that we are focused on giving all the intelligence, ammunition, and equipment we need. Um, Israel needs to be able to finish this, and we need to freeze Iranian assets, the $6 billion, but we also need to go back and put strong sanctions like we had before. China is importing more Iranian oil than anyone else. Russia is getting drones and missiles from Iran. These three, Russia, China, and Iran, know exactly what they're doing. All right. uh, That is Governor Nikki Haley, uh, former Ambassador Nikki Haley. This is her time. This is her area of expertise. This is where she does separate from Trump. She had to moderate his message and maybe nuance it and maybe massage it before it came out. And this is her opportunity to say, this is what I would do as president. And you have President Trump, whose policies in Israel are, I thought, were wonderful. You know, from moving the embassy to letting them go in the Golan Heights to allowing them, uh, allowing them room to move and recognizing that if you're tough on Iran, you're helping bring in peace to the Middle East. It doesn't mean you're anti-Persian. It doesn't mean you're uh, pro or anti-Muslim. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, they're the problem recognizing that a lot of these nations had a huge problem with Iran like we did, and that if you're tough on them, that's an opening and overture for Israel to lay the groundwork to reapproach countries like Morocco, Bahrain, UAE. And they were on the precipice of, of knocking out Saudi Arabia until they lost the election, sour relations with the Biden team, starting to perk up now. Iran got panicky, in my view. And then Hamas acted on their behalf, uh, tapping into the hatred that they have for that country. So this is an opportunity for her and 2024 candidates to say, this is how I'd handle a potential war in the Middle East. And that's Nikki Haley. For Mike Pompeo, who was, for a while, I thought for sure, running for president, here's what he said he worries most about. Cut 13. This is grotesque, it is barbaric, and it requires winning. And Prime Minister Netanyahu gets that. And I am just hoping that this administration doesn't slow him down. These are going to be long weeks. There are going to be some pictures that come out of Gaza that are going to be tragic. But make no mistake about it, Prime Minister Netanyahu has the duty to defend his own people in the same way that the United States has that, has that duty. We now have Americans held hostage. And Hamas, puppet of Iran, is threatening to kill them. They've already killed 11 Americans. They're threatening to kill Americans live on video and broadcast the audio as well. And President Biden hasn't told the Iranians, he hasn't told the world what America's response to that will be. And my hope is in that speech today, he says, we're going to recalibrate uh, any type of small reapproachment with Iran, and we're going to put different, start enforcing sanctions. 
uh, and start changing the approach there because we have no doubt, at the very least, they finance Hamas. They, if, if, if Iran stopped financing Hamas, they would no longer exist. They'd have trouble fielding a soccer team. But as long as they help them with manufacturing and tactics and give them an identity and fund their government and have a humanitarian peace that helps them win over the population, that allows them to do this. So that's what the Republican candidates have been saying and weighing in all along. Uh, the one that makes the most sense, he's not a candidate, is Kevin McCarthy, which makes me believe that if, an, if a Republican wins, and it's not Matt Gates. Uh, that they will tap him as chief of staff or some type of role in the State Department because he absolutely gets it. He understands toughness, but also understands the danger of starting a war in the Middle East and what it could mean. But listen, that's just it. They always call on Israel to pull back, and now they cannot talk about pulling back. When you talk about priorities in administration, this is what the administration says the biggest threat is climate change. Martha asked John Kirby that yesterday. Cut to he, he said it was more frightening than a nuclear war. Is that it's more frightening than a nuclear war in this moment? The president believes wholeheartedly that climate change is an existential threat to the, all of human life on the planet. That's just science. That's a fact, Martha. But it doesn't mean that we turn our back on the other challenges facing this country and our allies and partners around the world. It seems, especially in Central and South America, where China comes in with aid and we come in with LGBTQ rights and a program uh, for tolerance uh, in the military. That's the problem. Everything's backwards with these guys. But I think America is better off when the president doesn't speak or is at a barbecue. And that's sad. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't move. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. All right, well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a big hour coming your way. Adam Bowler will be here. What he did was try to work out a, um, a respectful exit from Afghanistan. Unfortunately, Donald Trump did not win re-election. They couldn't finish it off. And the Abraham Accords negotiator, man, is that appropriate today? Uh, Adam Bowler standing by in Eli Lake at the bottom of the hour. Uh, he's a contributing editor with Commentary Magazine and host of his own podcast. And you know him for all his insightful coverage and work as a war correspondent. So before we go any further and we get to Adam, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've come here today to declare our independence from the tyranny of corruption But to do that, I must first declare my own independence, independence from the Democratic Party. Wow, there you go. Just like that, RFK leaves his party, the legendary Kennedy, an independent candidate for the United States presidency. What does it mean for the super tight presidential race? Certain to be, no matter who the nominees are. And why do some believe he's going to hurt the Republicans more than the Democrats? Number two. Last night in this closed-door meeting with no cell phones and no staff, there were people who stood up and said that they would only elect Kevin McCarthy as speaker. And so I would put the chances at pretty much zero that he's going to be speaker again. It has just made everything much more complicated in the choices they face. Jim Jordan or uh, Steve Scalise. Yeah, the Washington Post reporter comes up with that. Speaker search could end tomorrow. Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and now a dark horse named Kevin McCarthy. The question, will anyone convince America that the Republicans can run their house, let alone the House? 
Number one. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. That is a very forceful Benjamin Netanyahu, obviously rattled, retaliation time. Israel has quickly put in more than 300,000 people in uniform, and we've just learned the number of casualties is over 1,000. They're going into Gaza. They are bombing it right now. They are about to surge, looming an expanded war with Hezbollah and maybe even Iran. We're going to talk tactics, world reaction, and U.S. response. Let's bring in Adam Bowler now. Adam, welcome. How would you characterize the last four days in, Amer- in, in Middle East history? Brian, I'd say it's shocking at first. Um, maybe we should have thought of it. Maybe the Israelis should have seen it. I think it's a huge myth in intelligence, but I think it's shocking. Um, and I think it's really sad and sickening. So having said that, Benjamin Netanyahu will try to get his country back together. They seem unified in responding. But how does it make you feel knowing that Iran loves and Hamas is happy? It seems that Israel is going into Gaza. The timing is not crazy here. This timing is directly. There are two things that have driven this. One is we were weak on policy to Iran. We've loosened things up. We didn't enforce sanctions. And that created and emboldened Iran. And the second thing that created this is Saudi's push to normalize with it with Israel. So. Make no mistake on this. This is Iran and terror versus people that want stability in the region. And right now, what do you think our role should be? Our role needs to be to support Israel with all we've got. Um, I I think it's 100 percent support. The clear recognition that this isn't a war between Palestinians and Israelis. It's not a citizen-to-citizen war. It's not a normal war. This is a war on terror. Uh, And by the way, when we had a war on terror, let's look at what happened to us in 9-11. No one thought about what the other side thought. No one said, hey, look, uh, we just got attacked and the World Trade Center just got attacked. I wonder if the people that attacked it had legitimate purposes or had their own grievances. They did. Trust me. Um, Same thing here. Uh, I don't care about grievances that Hamas might have. It's time to permanently eliminate them from the Gaza Strip. And the U.S. needs to be fully committed to that. Do you think we are? I think I'm seeing some start. I mean, I I think the statements that were put out by the five heads of state recently, you've got the French, you've got us, you know, we're we're pretty good. The only thing I'll say on these, and this is what I worry, Brian, they're statements, and they're not actions. Um, And this is going to get tough over the next few weeks. And so it's easy right after a terror attack, because we're seeing images of kids killed, it's easy to say that. Now Israel has to go what it, and do what it needs to do. Um, and in order to take control from, of the Gaza Strip over Hamas, it's going to be dicey. It's going to look tough. Uh, and so the rubber is going to meet the road on whether the United States and other countries stand behind the war on terror or whether they see images of what it means to eliminate Hamas uh, and they back off. So that's what I worry about. So the UAE came out and then condemned the attacks, not as blatantly as us, but more than expected. But, you know, uh, Qatar didn't. And Qatar's not part of the Abraham Accords. Uh, we have Saudi Arabia said something blunt for the Palestinians, but been kind of quiet since. And then you have uh, Bahrain has not said much. And then you have Morocco. So these are the three Abraham Accord countries. Who else did you try to deal in that were close? Uh, We got very close to the Saudis. I mean, you just mentioned the Saudis. But just to be clear, 
uh, MBS has a high degree of interest. He did in our administration, too, and was very clear to us in our discussions that if the incoming administration uh, didn't create a rift right away, that he would be very willing to talk. Now, as we all know, right away, the incoming administration, yeah, they, they created a rift right away. They sided with Iran right away. They loosened things up. Now they've caught themselves. They've caught my, themselves. I want to give credit where credit's due. Made a big mistake at the beginning. They've caught themselves. And as a, as a result, you see warming relations. Um, and the reason you see the Saudi response is Saudi's got to placate its citizens a little bit. But there's no question that MBS is very cognizant of what is happening here, which is Iran trying to force his hand. So I know Mike Pompeo weighed in and is, is concerned that they're going to stop. After a couple of weeks, they're going to go, listen, it's too heavy-handed. you got to stop. But this is just going to – if we if they go halfway, all they're doing is delaying a, a year or two, another attack, possibly even more brutal and more sophisticated. Hamas really coordinated this. Did it surprise you they now submitted video of their rehearsals, even with the paragliders and the dune buggies? They were rehearsing this, and it was not picked up on. They had meetings going to the Wall Street Journal in Beirut with Hezbollah, the Al-Quds force leader, as well as Hamas and Islamic Jihad, and we didn't pick up on it. Some of these meetings were biweekly. I think it's shocking. It's a shocking failure of intelligence. It is a shocking failure of Israeli intelligence. Uh, There's nothing else I can say about that. And I can tell you, I've been back and forth with the former national security advisor in Israel, and I've asked him, I said, how is this possible? And the answer, as you may understand, is not sure fighting, (laughs) Uh, which is exactly what they should be doing is fighting right now. But there's no question that this was a massive failure. And if you ask, you know, to be clear, I am completely guessing right now. So this is not rooted in fact. So everybody should know this. But my guess on this is Israel has become so high tech on what they've done that sometimes people sometimes when you go high, people go low. Um, And this was a much more low tech attack. uh, And maybe the guard was down a little bit. And what about the fact that they were fighting each other? They were they had the problem with the judiciary, some controversial since Netanyahu took over this time. And there were most of their attention security forces were actually in the West Bank instead of Gaza. Can you can you see that being a distraction? Yeah, I think there was a, a level of comfort about strength. I also think keep in mind, right, you're right coming off of a Jewish holiday. Um, and so you have a number of people that were just with families. And so sort of like 1973 in the Yom Kippur War, it was a good time to strike. Um, and so, look, to be clear, uh, Hamas, uh, in the planning of this, uh, did a pretty decent job. Uh, it was well-planned. It was well-coordinated. It hit – I look at the attack on the Iron Dome side. Uh, one always needs to assume that your enemy is learning, um, and they have good supporters in Iran. So they've been watching the Iron Dome. And so when they did it, they overwhelmed it because they knew how the Iron Dome worked from watching it before. So, again, I, I think the important thing to recognize here is people aren't just going to stay quiet. They aren't going to stay at the same level. They're always learning. And Israel missed something on this one. You know, nobody's Here, perfect. Right. Here's John Radcliffe uh, from what he said that they did that led to this cut 18. This was an intelligence failure, and it was in part because the Biden administration changed the priorities. President Trump correctly outlined under the national intelligence priority frameworks, we, we focused on the eradication of uh, the ISIS caliphate, which we achieved, and we focused on Islamic terrorist regime, Iran, minimizing their influence. We were very successful. 
The first thing Joe Biden did when he came into office was to scramble all of that and to state clearly that the intelligence community would focus on our top national security threat, climate change. Uh, since that time, he's added uh, focusing on domestic violent extremists, which they have defined to include parents and Catholics and even now Trump supporters. So that is true. And you can't have too many. And you worried about diversity hires. You still don't have an ambassador to Israel. So these things don't help. Well, I'd also note that what really doesn't help here is a loosening from an Iranian perspective. If you recall, in our administration, when the Iranians got out of line, what did we do? We killed their number two guy. And their response was to shoot a missile in a place where it wouldn't kill anyone. Now, why is that? That's because if it did, they knew exactly the kind of response that they would get from the United States of America. Um, And in this case, they know exactly the kind of response that they're going to get from the United States of America, which isn't much unless we prove them differently. Right. Uh, So having said that, how important is it to work the phones right now with the with the people that you've worked relations with, uh, like Bahrain, like Morocco, like UAE and now with Saudi Arabia to say, listen, can you keep your powder dry and can you keep Hezbollah out of this? Absolutely. I think it's very important. I think it's, look, you're not going to get a statement from Saudi that's super pro-Israel right now, right? There are, there are certain things that are just not reality within the context of this. But let me, let me pose something, which is what I said at the beginning of this, which is I do not believe that there is a future in Gaza for Hamas, meaning I believe that Israel needs to eradicate Hamas from the Gaza Strip uh, at this point. I think that is now, so what goes after? Um, And I think a lot of that has to be driven by people like Saudi Arabia, uh, people like UAE, others, but friendly Arab, Egypt included, Jordan included, friendly Arab countries um, that can come together and identify what life after Hamas looks like. All right. I want you to, what is your take on Rob Malley, one of the lead negotiators for the original nuclear deal that still stayed involved and got reengaged when they wanted to get the nuclear deal up and running again? He suddenly was suspended, and we don't know why, but a senior House Republican aide told the New York Post today that the cash influx followed an even more generous payout of $1.7 billion. When I'm talking about the cash influx, remember the pallets of cash that arrived under Barack Obama when he was president? Well, even more money, yeah, more money had arrived since then and may have come through and been engineered by O'Malley himself between 50 and 80 billion over the last two and a half years. They found him maybe doing some double dealing or underhand dealing. How important is it to find out? I mean, if that is the case, obviously the man's a criminal. So I think it's important to find out uh, what's behind that. So if that is the if that's the case, it's a huge issue. But again, this is part of a broader issue, which is it's not. You know, we've talked about the six billion dollars that came in on the hostage side. It's not just about the six billion dollars. It's about tens of billions of dollars because of loosened sanctions or sanctions that are not enforced. Uh, that creates an emboldened Iran. And so anybody that thinks that this is, I mean, really. You've got this. This is a proxy war. This is a proxy war. It isn't even Hamas, Israel. It is Iran against Israel, against the UAE, against Bahrain, uh, against Egypt, against friendly. Because the, the, the genius of the Abraham Accords, right? If you think about the base of the Abraham Accords, it, it's a peace agreement. But beyond a peace agreement, what it means is it means a united Arab and Israeli, a united Middle East against terror. 
against Iran. That's what we did. Um, and so what's happening right now is if Saudi is going to generate and join that group, that's uniting more people against Iran. They don't like that any more than Russia likes somebody joining NATO. Uh, and so this is an attack on that group. And it's not just an attack on Israel. It's an attack on those Arab countries, too, uh, broadly. Uh, yes, absolutely. Adam, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Adam Bowler, uh, one of the chief negotiators of the Abraham Accords and former Taliban negotiator. You wonder how much of that weaponry ended up in the Gaza Strip that President, President Biden left behind. Was it $4 billion when they left uh, Afghanistan? Oh, I will tell you something, that there's a lot that were picked up that we're using here. I don't know the exact amount, but this is the problem when you go... <laughs> But, you know, everything leads to the next, right? So our weakness in Afghanistan is what prods Putin, is what prods these kind of things. And when we walked away from that, from those arms, you can guarantee they're coming back here. Understood. Adam, thank you. Thank you, Brian. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls next. Then Eli Lake at the bottom of the hour. Then we'll do a simulcast on FBN. We're seeing explosion after explosion in Gaza City, but we're also seeing rockets return from Hamas. Not at the same pace, but shows they're still capable. Keep in mind, this group sent 5,000 rockets into Israel in 20 minutes. How much is left? Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Yes, it's true that Prime Minister Netanyahu was more focused over the last several months in fighting his political opposition and in protecting elements of his, the extremist elements, I should say, of his of the government coalition that he created, which was more interested in West Bank settlements than it was in policing the country. It's true that he's had a running argument, a running fight, really, with army reservists who have been leading the democracy demonstrations, democracy protests against Netanyahu. Yahoo's damaging judicial reforms over the last several months. You know, he made clear at certain points, moments that the, you know, the army and the intelligence services were somehow enemies. They were challenging him and he didn't take seriously their arguments, which were that the division of the country was a security risk. You know, the division of any country is a security risk, creating really profound and deep polarization makes it hard for people to unite in common goals and resolving common problems. And in that sense, yeah, yes, it's a harbinger of what could be to come in some future for the United States as well. Uh, Ann Applebaum, of, uh, the staff writer for The Atlantic. That might be true. Maybe it's hard when you have an internal division like I've not seen before in Israel. I saw the feature on 60 Minutes about a month ago, and uh, it was over the judiciary and the balance of power, something I can't, I, uh, I'm not going to take a side on, but it definitely is a distraction. But that's why you have the Mossad. That's why you have a, sec- uh, a defense minister. Uh, the prime minister, you could say, but it's really not, you know, they get briefed every day and you could say you should focus a little bit more, but it doesn't mean you disable your intelligence unit. And that's the first thing someone said to me, too, that was in the military and said, we fall in love with the electronic side of things, the cybersecurity element of things. And we forget about putting human resources uh, in with your enemy, in this case, Hamas or Hezbollah or Iran, to be able to see and hear what's going on. For some reason, these people were in paragliders on, with doom buggies landing on the beach, and everybody seemed to miss it, which is okay, except for Israel, 
they have a much higher standard than that, and they're still trying to get a hold of this whole situation. Uh, and we're watching it. By the way, we are watching explosion after explosion uh, inside Gaza. They have opened up the border with Egypt and allowing people to go out. My worry is, like yours, is that some of the terrorists are getting out. I'm not sure what you can do about it. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to be able to uh, be able to talk to Eli Lake about this, what the big picture is. Uh, Admiral Kirby just said something totally ridiculous. Everyone knows that Joe Biden has been very tight with Israel. Really? He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Look, I'm not going to speak about intelligence matters and, uh, and, and what we're collecting here uh, on national TV. That said, though, Martha, make no mistake, and we've been very honest about this, Iran, of course, is complicit in these attacks because of its longstanding support to Hamas and other terrorist networks in the region. That's why we have got more than 400 sanctions against them. That's why we beefed up our presence, not only in the uh, Gulf area, but now in the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, we're going to make sure that we can protect our national security uh, interests yeah. against what is a growing threat uh, throughout the region by Iran. And by the way, uh, Brett Baer just ran through it. And hopefully will have the clip of how much more oil they are now selling and how much more money they now have. And as Kevin McCarthy, and I'll play the soundbite, outlines how much more money they have in their treasury thanks to the new approach to Iran, which is do whatever the, do whatever the hell you want. It's not going to bother us. Eli Lake is contributing editor of the Commentary Magazine, columnist for the New York Sun, host of the Reeducation podcast. Uh, Eli, it's an emboldened Iran that is smiling with the biggest smile today as Hamas was able to inflict such massive damage on Israel. Do you agree? Yeah, and if the report in the Wall Street Journal is, uh, we get more details on that and that's confirmed, then it looks like the Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran was planning the operation and gave a green light and authorized it. So, I mean, I think it's, it's to say that Iran is happy or to say that they are in part responsible, if that report is correct, then Iran is, you know, Iran, then Hamas is, is Iran's pawn. It's like the cat's paw. So in that respect, it's much more serious. And I think there has to be what I would call the Suleimani option for other IRGC commanders. And, you know, Israel should do that. Uh, and there shouldn't just be a response in Gaza. Obviously, they have to take care of business now, secure the southern part of their country, really, you know, cat, you know rescue the hostages. They got to do that. But another part of this has to be there has to be, you know, consequences for Iran if it's if it if it is indeed true that they planned and, again, gave the green light to do it. I mean, that suggests to me that Iran is, is that Hamas is not a, a Palestinian, you know, liberation movement. It's it is a it's literally a proxy. It's, it, it works for the Iranians. If that's the case, because this is terrible for the people of Gaza. It's terrible for the Palestinian cause, if you think about it. I mean, you, the images that they are, you know, that Hamas themselves are advertising on social media of this atrocity, that is isolating the Palestinians. That is going to make it harder for them. The Austrians just froze their development aid to the Palestinian Authority, and you're going to probably see more countries follow. So if this is – I mean, I think Iran is – if that's right, then, then Iran has to pay a really serious price and not just sanctions. Because they got what they want. They want to break off relations that were developing between Israel and other uh, other 
Arabic nations, and they got at least a pause. No one's ended these relations, but now you have uh, Israel uh, moving into Gaza, and it's going to be brutal, and there's going to be horrible images coming out, and there are already some. Nothing will trump what we've already seen. That's a 1,000 dead, most of them innocent, hostages taken. Uh, a lot of this video is available. A lot of them taken with their own cameras, their own their own uh, phones, and then posted on websites. So nobody's looking to hide their brutality. I want you to hear what Kevin McCarthy says when you talk about different approaches to supporting Israel and isolating Iran. Cut 22. First thing you have to do is go back to what we had in the last administration. We no longer pay for Americans for the ransom to bring them home. We simply tell them, if they harm them, we will kill you. We should make sure there are 11 Americans dead now, and he's having a barbecue. We've got hostages sitting there. But the other thing we need to do, yes, we should freeze that $6 billion, But the part that you don't quite understand is the $60 billion he's allowed. When Biden came into office, Iran was only producing 400,000 barrels of oil today. Now they're producing... Three million. There are sanctions against that, but he does not enforce it. Enforce those. You know what is the foreign currency reserves are for Iran? When Biden took office, it was only four billion. It's now up to seventy. He's made Iran wealthy. He's made him more secure and able to fund more terrorism. For them to look at anybody in the face to say that Iran was not involved in this—that's like saying our border is secure. Nobody believes them. Are you one that believes them? I mean, it's unbelievable that the initial line, I mean, Tony Blinken is walking it back, but the initial line was it was disinformation to link the ransom payment to this operation. And uh, how dare you in a moment of crisis like this, uh, you know, try to score a partisan political point. It's up, it's absurd. They're, I mean, listen, they're living in a. I wrote this for the free press yesterday. They're living in a delusional dream world because they believe that with enough patience, diplomacy and money, they can bring barbarians into the civilized world. And it's, a, it's an approach, by the way, that you see not just with Iran. I want to bring up something here with Qatar, which is the you know, safe haven of Hamas's senior leadership for the most part. You know, they, in 2022, Joe Biden made Iran a major non-NATO ally, which is a, which is a diplomatic you know, you know, gift. And – the fact of the matter is, is that that is absurd. If this point, I mean, I think that to say Qatar is not an ally, let alone major non-NATO ally, unless they, you know, unless Ismail Haniyeh is given to Israel in shackles. And, and then look at what they did when they came into office. They reversed Trump's policy of not providing money for, the, for Palestinian, what they call development aid. There was an internal memo uh, at the time where they sought an exemption from the Treasury Department on counterterrorism laws. And that memo said, we think there is a high chance that Hamas will indirectly benefit from this. And so it raises this question. They used a bulldozer to get through the border fence that into southern Israel. Well, was that bulldozer in part paid for by U.S. taxpayer money or, you know, even EU money? I mean, that's, this is outrageous. Right, we 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 gave them back what thirty or four hundred million right away. We restored yeah, it, that. Yeah, it's 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 like I understand the argument that is it's not in Israel's interest or anyone's interest for the Palestinian people to starve. Of course it isn't, but they're not starving. And you have to say, I mean, I have to point this out because I mean, we have. I'm sure you've talked about this on the show. 
we've seen the true colors of the left in the last few days with these rallies in New York and everything. And they, one of their talking points is that it, Gaza's under blockade. It is under blockade. If it's under blockade, how in the world did they get, you know, electric hang gliders and killer drones and advanced submachine guns and bulletproof vests? This was not, you know, uh, uh, an army of people with slingshots and Molotov cocktails. These were, you know, these were weapons of war. So, I mean, it really does raise this question of the broader kind of mindset of Biden and the Democratic Party at this point on how to deal with these things. And it starts with the assumption that you can bring in rogue actors if you just sit across the table from them and negotiate. It's not true. We have to stop thinking that way and, you know, get, and get used to the fact that they're just as evil in the world and it has to be eradicated. Full so stop. You, you have Rashid Tlaib flying a Palestinian flag, huge one, an LBTQ uh, pride flag outside our office. Uh, and now you have people in Congress, even like Dan Goldman, Democrats going, are you kidding me? I was looking to get out of my life. I was just in Israel and you're flying a Palestinian flag and they condemned Israel's action. Turkey's asking for a ceasefire and backs Palestinians, warns us not to get involved. That is a NATO nation in Massachusetts. Protesters, and I, I think it's more you know, specifically Boston, seen desecrating the U.S. flag during the pro-Palestinian demonstration. Um, we got a huge yeah, problem in, in fairness, this country. In fairness, there was another rally where Senator Ed Markey, who is, you know, to the left of the left, and he was calling, you know, on like, you know, restraint on both sides that he was booed. And then another Democratic congressman, to his great credit, Jack, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Jake Oceancloth, I think is it. But he is a, you know, military veteran, and he called out Markey to his great credit. Now is a time of choosing for a lot of Democrats. Now, I mean, because I don't think you can say that AOC and the squad is the face of the party yet. But they, the Democrats, you know, we, it's, it has to be like um, – this is like a moment where, you know, you look back and you see that Rolling Stone photo essay with Nancy Pelosi and the new squad members and all that. Well, you know, you got to recognize there's a group of Democrats right now and, and, you know, organizations that are on the left that are involved in politics that do not share the, at least the traditional values of the Democratic Party. Now, we'll see if they have the, the courage and the fortitude to conduct that fight within their own ranks. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they keep saying that, you know, the real, you know, traditional Republicans need to, you know, deal with these, uh, you know, kooks in the Republican Party. They've got uh, the same problem right now in their, in their tent, and they have to deal with it. Uh, that is so true. Uh, Eli, thanks so much. Uh, there's a lot going on. And it would be great if the president had mentioned today, instead of just calling out Donald Trump, and MAGA Republicans to say, I'm very disappointed in some of the responses in my own party since uh, this unprovoked action took place. I'm sure he won't, but he uh, but he should. Eli, thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. And check out his re-education podcast. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come back. I go on live on FBN then squeeze in some calls on the back end. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. We're going to be on with uh, Stuart Varney in a matter of moments. And then we'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the back end. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're still watching all the developments with 
what's going on in, uh, with Hamas being uh, under attack uh, right in Gaza for what they've done. They've already killed a, a few Hamas leaders, which is great, uh, but they are still getting rocket fire. There's a report right now uh, that when I started this show that Ben-Gurion Airport's been rocketed. They have since denied that. I've not seen proof either way. So let's go on and get on the Fox Business Network. miraculously appear in three seconds on the right-hand side of your screen. Here we go. There he is, Brian, the man himself. President Biden still thinks climate change is the greatest threat to our world. Brian, just watch this. Roll it. Does the president stand by that comment? Absolutely, he does. Climate change is an existential threat. It could, you know, it actually threatens and is capable of wiping out all human life on Earth uh, over time. He said it was more frightening than a nuclear war. Is that it's more frightening than a nuclear war in this moment? The president believes wholeheartedly that climate change is an existential threat to the all of human life on the planet. Okay, Brian, we've got two wars and the, the new world order, but climate change is more dangerous. Have at it. Climate change is more dangerous to our economy and our welfare and our sovereignty than anything else because of what he's been sacrificing in our economy, in our spending, in order to foment a policy I don't even believe he believes. This guy who's been around since the 70s and 80s wasn't even talking about it. Al Gore brings it up. Bill Clinton jumps on. Now it's the doctrine of the left, led by AOC, who walked in at 32 years old with a developed plan, and now suddenly we're adopting it. And Joe Biden's been told that is it. It's kind of scary, though. That's the type of guy that, I don't know, has a barbecue on Sunday with a bland, uh, band blasting on the, on the outskirts of the White House lawn. That's also the same president of the United States who put a lid on it at 1215 because he had an interview with Robert Hur two days, any day. I'm pretty sure Robert Hur, the investigator looking into his documents caught by his Corvette and elsewhere, I'm pretty sure Robert Hur would have come back a different day being that there's a potential world war at stake. But no, the lid went on early, and now the president's going to speak a little bit later today. And I think if you look at the Iran policy, you see that he does not fully understand, and the people around him, the danger of the region. He's got to address Iran, because Iran is emerging now as the spy master in chief, the supplier, the trainer, the financier of all this terror. He's got to address Iran and tell us what he's going to do. That's, I think that's one of the most important things that he's going to do today. What do you say? He's got to also say this. I've talked to a lot of our weapons manufacturers. We're going to, quadru- we're going to be uh, quadrupling the pace in which we're manufacturing between the demands not only in uh, Israel but with Ukraine and our own weapons stuff. He's going to talk about how we have to get more on a war fund. He's going to ask for additional spending, I would hope. And I would hope he says a little bit of section to condemn those in his own party who are epically disappointing him with their pro-Palestinian comments and displays. And how disappointed he is, although taking mind of the First Amendment, to see the big pro-Palestinian celebrations for the horrific carnage that we witnessed in Israel that are taking place in Los Angeles and four blocks away from us right here in Manhattan, Stuart. Yeah, I saw it myself. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, he was once the president at Harvard, He's calling out the school. He says, the silence from Harvard's leadership, coupled with a vocal and widely reported student group statement blaming Israel solely, has allowed Harvard to appear at best neutral toward acts of terror against the Jewish state of Israel. Harvard put out since a mild statement on the war. In my opinion, 
The elites have just turned into a bunch of cowards. Maybe that's a bit strong, but what say you? But they just seem very comfortable in being anti-American, anti-American allies. It just makes sense to them. I don't get it. But I did see a Gallup poll, and I I watched this as uh, things were spinning up and Benjamin Netanyahu was coming here to speak at the U.N. And I was doing an interview uh, with the NATO secretary, and I started looking up different sentiments when it came to the Palestinians. And it turns out the Palestinian and their cause uh, has more popularity resonating with the 35 to 45, 25 to 45 year olds among the Democrats in our country. It was totally reversed, 24 percent approval. Now they got 54 percent approval. Now, for Larry Summers to spend most of his time at that institution and not realize the pro-Palestinian movement at that at, at that institution of Harvard and act just aghast now is somewhat surprising because he had not been paying attention to some of the messages going through his political science department and for this next generation. I agree that he's upset, but I cannot believe he's really surprised by that. Anything anti-American or anti-American allies, they are thoroughly comfortable with taking on. There was also, uh, by the way, pro-Palestinian movements at the U.K., too. Did you see some of those demonstrations? Yeah, Yeah, I saw it. I think there's a rise of anti-Semitism amongst younger people, and that's a terrible thing. Brian, out of time. See you again real soon. Go get him, Stuart. Thank you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. And that's one thing we've been seeing. You know, it's anti-Israel, too. I'm not, not, I don't know if it's anti, uh, being uh, anti-Semitic. I just think they look at that and go, oh, you know, Israel, this just, it would be, life would be so much better over there if Israel just wasn't there. And I thought it was very interesting that Eli Lake brought up that it used to be the Palestinian Liberation Organization. They wanted uh, a part or all of Israel. Hamas just wants to wipe out Israel. Like, they don't talk about any peace talks because they're not interested in that. They just want to wipe them out. For the longest time, think about this, whether it's a social studies or history classes or in the news every day, whether you do this for a living or not. You always heard about Yasser Arafat making a move in Oslo and what we can do in portions of the West Bank and we'll give them Gaza. These were the conver- Do you notice we don't have those conversations anymore? Because those organizations, as diabolical as they were and as corrupt as they seem, as uh, Yasser Arafat became a billionaire, you find out. That those organizations who had the objective of maybe having a portion of Israel and a portion of the area, they have just been knuckled under. Uh, Abbas now leads them, but he's invisible. He just takes the money and does nothing with it. Now these terror groups, Hezbollah and Hamas, Islamic Jihad, they're the dominant forces. And they just want to inflict terror and force the democracy in Israel to get out of there. I just think it's anti-Israel. But I would not, uh, you know, I've not seen evidence of anti-Semitism in America. There's always people that are anti-something, anti-Fox. They don't like football. They don't like a certain group of people. I get that. But let's just hope that people can understand who the good guys are in this. Because right now it doesn't seem that way. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're watching developments right now overseas as Israel and Hamas are exchanging fire and of Gaza. Uh, right now, you have tanks and armored carriers lining up on the uh, on the border, and you see a lot of blown up buildings especially by the ocean and by the sea. And we understand that Egypt has opened up their border as uh, this war is really intensifying. 
Israel it was a war Israel was not expecting, obviously. It was one they did not want, but it was one that it looks like Hamas might have been working on for as long as two years, if I'm to believe what was in the Washington Post. With me right now, uh, joining us now is Ambassador David Friedman calling us from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he was the ambassador during the Trump years, in fact, every day of those years. Ambassador, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ambassador, what could you tell us now? We we heard conflicting reports about Ben-Gurion Airport uh, being shelled and it was walked back. We understand that uh, Hamas is still sending rockets into Israel? They're still sending rockets. They've been sending them uh, most of the day today, uh, mostly along the coast to places like Ashkelon and Ashdod. As far north as uh, Tel Aviv. The airport's open. Uh, my uh, my children and grandchildren just left uh, today, so I know the airport's open. They're, they're, they're flying home to New York. And, um, uh, you know, the, I think there's a huge amount of activity in the south. Uh, the Army is really uh, concentrating many of its uh, troops there. They're getting ready. Uh, they're, uh, they're, there's been an amazing, amazing outpouring of love and support from people of Israel for their armed forces. And from, and from outside, all around the world as well, I mean, uh, from the United States, from Europe, people are, uh, are volunteering, people are uh, providing philanthropic uh, help, uh, you know, vests and socks and, and, and underwear and sweatshirts and, and food. And, you know, every, it's just been an incredible uh, show of unity uh, rallying around the state of Israel over the past 24 hours. What is uh, needed you know what? I think that, um, you know, understand that Israel called up 3,000 reservists over 24 hours, and they just got authority to call up another 360,000 reservists. 300,000 reservists alone is the largest call-up in the history of the state of Israel. So, you know, when you go from, uh, you know, zero to 300,000 in, in 24 hours, you're going to be short some supplies. And, you know, it's all the basic supplies from helmets and vests and, and ammo and, and, and weaponry to, you know, things like socks and, and shoes and boots. Uh, they will get that, you know, over the next few days. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the government will give that to their soldiers, but, you know, there's, there's just such a desire to help that people are, uh, are volunteering and uh, providing all that stuff already today, yesterday, tomorrow. So, um, they'll they, they'll get what they need uh, in, in short order. Uh, Israel will be able to defend itself and prosecute this war. Uh, certainly, if it remains uh, on the southern front, you know, if it if it expands into Lebanon, you know, there there may be a different discussion. Uh, Ambassador, are you surprised there's nobody to replace you yet? <laughs> I'd like to think I'm irreplaceable, but I, I doubt it. I, I, that that's the reason. Um, yeah, look, they, they need an ambassador here. Um, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, when I was ambassador, um, you know, the, the one thing I really tried to do, and I, I've been through uh, two or three of these conflicts, although nothing on the scale of what we're seeing today. Somebody's got to be, you know, on the ground and, and be the go-between between the prime minister of Israel and the president of the United States and the secretary of state and the secretary of defense to make sure that in real time everybody's on the same page and everybody's getting what they need. And you need an ambassador to do that. I mean, you need somebody, you know, uh, of, of credentials with relationships that can get that done. So they need an ambassador. I, I'm not going to, you know, stick my uh, stick my toe into the water about who that should be. But I, I think that uh, well, they they, made, they nominated Jack Lew. Um, right. So so let so, me ask well, you. I was just watching yeah. these these uh, hostage families give a press conference, uh, American yep. families, 
And they just said there's been no communication at all with the administration. They called the press conference to get Joe Biden's attention. And they also asked, is anyone here from the U.S. Embassy? And they said no. And they said, has anyone contacted me from Benjamin Netanyahu's government? He goes, no. We're sitting here saying, pay attention to us. Our loved ones have been captured and we think are held Mm -hmm. in Gaza. Can you talk about some of the chaos? Yeah, listen, they're they're calling me. They're calling me because they don't have anybody else to call. And I, I take their calls. And uh, and I relay those calls to um, to the uh, to the Israeli uh, general who's in charge of hostage uh, situations, and I relay to all my friends back, you know, in the Trump administration who still have some some contacts that can help in hostage uh, recovery. But uh, look, I've also been trying to reach the embassy to, to try to coordinate that, and, and I'm not getting through. It's um, look, there's nothing more important uh, any embassy than protecting its, the, the, the American citizens in country, wherever that country is. So now you have these people. I'm talking to them. I'm talking to, um, to, to, to parents who, who don't know where their children are located. They, they suspect they're, they're being held hostage in Gaza. They have no idea what efforts are being made to, uh, to, to bring them back. Um, you know, it's a big black hole right now, and, and, and the suffering. I mean, I have never heard uh, suffering or distress like I've heard in these parents, these, these poor parents whose children are missing and, and likely uh, being held under the most adverse circumstances. So, yeah, but the embassy's got to get into gear. I mean, I don't like to be criticized. I don't like to criticize you know, my own institutions, but they got to get into gear. They're, they're not where they need to be right now. So Victoria Coates, who used to be a colleague of yours, said this about what she's seen as former, the former dash, deputy national security advisor, cut 17. Either Tony Blinken is incompetent or he's willfully blind in this case. Obviously, Iran has had the leading role in this. There's no way Hamas has pulled off a plot like this at this level of sophistication without a state actor that's helping them in terms of training, training, equipping and intelligence. And Fred knows this better than I do. But this is this is ridiculous. And for the secretary of state to come out yesterday, hours before the Wall Street Journal reports this, and, and claim that it's not the case. It's, it's just embarrassing for the United States. And he's talking about the Wall Street Journal said this has been plotted and planned forever. Yeah. And, and you talk about the Secretary of State put out a joint statement with the Foreign Secretary of Turkey saying basically he wants peace. Look, Victoria is absolutely right. You know, we worked together a lot when I was in government. She's 100 percent right. And by the way, it's even worse because think about it. The United States and Iran negotiate this five-on-five hostage swap, and then America sweetens it with a $6 billion unfreezing of cash as a sign of America's good faith, as if America is the one that has to show good faith. And what's happening exactly at this time, exactly while this is being negotiated, Hamas is sitting with Iran and planning the, the worst attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And America is worried about its good faith. I mean, this is, this is uh, it's, it's beyond embarrassing. I mean, I'm, I am I'm just, you know, shocked by the um, by the way we got into this. It could have been avoided so many ways. The main thing is, you know, look at, you know, I would, you know, I'd recommend people look at, at the at a chart which shows the sale by Iran of its oil uh, output over the last three years. They've gone from, you know, this massive, massive sanctions that our administration put in place that. You know, my friend Stephen Mnuchin put in place when he was Secretary of the Treasury. Massive sanctions. They couldn't. They couldn't sell anything. And now, you know, it's gone up, you know, tenfold. They're, they're a very rich country right now. And they have so much money to burn. They can spend it on all kinds of malign activity. And there's no question that they funded, orchestrated, approved, 
and, and helped to train uh, and plan this, this attack. Here's what Bill Barr said from what he saw. Cut 20. He goes through like two administrations. 20. Our strategic imperative, and I think Israel's strategic imperative in the Mideast, is to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons. This uh, administration says it's committed to that, but it's done a miserable job. They're on the brink of obtaining them. Uh, and I think uh, they're hostage takers, as we're seeing. And what do you think they're going to do once they get nuclear weapons? They're going to take the world and the region hostage. And if there's one country that would do it, it would be the, it would be this country. And do you think that Israel has ever stood by and it would allow that to happen? The answer is no. No, and Bill's, Bill's exactly right as well. And, and here's and here's the um, here's the real um, you know re- response to that, which is that. America has lost its deterrent capability. I mean, I wish it weren't true, but at least as long as we have this administration, Iran is not afraid of America. They have duped us and duped us and, you know, uh, into the most embarrassing transactions. So the question is, is there any deterrence left to stop Iran? And the answer is the only country that could conceivably stop Iran is Israel. And so the United States, if if they're going to be, if they're going to be wimps, right, if they're going to be ineffective, at least, at least provide Israel with the weaponry. You know, with 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 the with the refueling uh, planes, with the bunker busters, with all the other technological needs, with the with the radio jammers, with all the things you need to present a credible threat and a credible deterrence against Iran. Because if they don't get that, Iran's going to go nuclear. It's just, I mean, they can say as many times as they want, and and they look you in the eye and they say, "We will never allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon." And it's just words, meaningless words, and nobody takes them seriously. Uh, Ambassador David Friedman, our guest, he's calling us from Jerusalem, or we're calling him. David, uh, in your estimation, how close is Hezbollah to getting into this, and what pressure could be put on them to make sure they don't? Well, look, um, you know, uh, having having beaten up the Biden administration for most of this call, I'll say moving uh, moving the largest aircraft carrier in the world to the eastern Mediterranean, uh, bringing uh, sophisticated you know weapons and jets in. Uh, um, uh, missile uh, uh, missile defense systems and is a good thing. And I think it's a good message to Iran, and and and, and that's that's the right thing to do. I mean, it's maybe too little, too late, but it was the right thing to do. As far as Hezbollah is concerned, look, I, I I think that you know they're a proxy of Iran, and the question is why would Iran at this juncture jeopardize the Hezbollah assets when it achieved so much through this kind of you know, second-level proxy in Hamas. I mean, they, they got so much more than they wanted out of this. They, they inflicted so much pain and suffering and torture upon Israel. You've seen the, you've seen the videos. You know, 40 babies were beheaded by these animals. You know, women raped. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't even talk about how horrible this was. So this was a huge win for Iran. Why they would want to then jeopardize that by bringing in Hezbollah, which, which is trying to rule Lebanon. Now, Hezbollah comes in, and they may. I mean, I could be wrong about this. Hezbollah comes in. What's Israel going to do? They haven't got time for another ground war. They're going to get up and flatten uh, Lebanon. And they, they've trained for this, and they have the capacity to do this. It's going to flatten Lebanon. And then, you know, the Lebanese will blame Hezbollah for getting into this mess. I don't think it works out well right now for Hezbollah. It doesn't mean they won't enter the war. They might. That could be wrong. It doesn't mean they won't do it another day. But I think that um, I think the, the incentives right now suggest to me that, that they might not. But if they do, um, you know, be, I think America has to provide – you know, never any troops. Israel will never accept American troops. But, you know, air support, uh, radar radar jamming, um, you know, uh, missile defense systems. Uh, I, I know that uh, Israel and, and, and the United States train for that all the time. And, and I think that that would be 
you know, expected and appropriate. Yeah, uh, you know, let's hope we did. I did rehear about and you would know better some skirmishes already over the last two days. I've not heard much today yet. I've been on the show for the yeah. last. I've been on for the last six hours. But if unless I there's miss something, some. there's been some. There's been some. There's been some. But look, you have to understand that you know, you know, Lebanon is a is a uh, is a hotbed of all kinds of you know different flavors of terrorists. So you've got you've got Hamas pockets out there. You've got Islamic Jihad pockets out there. Um, they're, they're, they're small groups, but they're, they have rockets, and, and you know they want to be, they want to participate and be relevant. So I mean, I think a lot of this is coming from them, um, which which would not you know garner an, a full out war. But again, you know, this is so volatile and so uh, dynamic that uh, it, it could change, it could change on a dime. Is Benjamin Netanyahu in political trouble while we're in this in this crisis because this happened on his watch? Like I think when this is over, you know, there'll definitely be a commission of inquiry. I mean, the the, the, the failures here by Israel are undeniable. You know, I, I have no idea who's to blame, but the failures are are undeniable. Somebody or, or some, you know, something went wrong. Uh, the, the great thing about Israel is that they can um, they can put that off to the side and unify. I, again, as I had mentioned at the, at the outset, they're incredibly unified behind this um, behind this enemy. You know, to, to fight this enemy. Those pictures that everybody has seen has has made you know Israel so so angry uh, and so committed and so unified to, to break Hamas that nobody's talking politics right now. I mean, I guarantee you the the conversation will come and and it'll run its course. And I, I honestly don't know how it'll, it'll, it'll turn out. But the country right now is behind Netanyahu. He's the prime minister. The country's going to rally behind him. They're going to form. I believe they're going to form a unity government with some of the people who are in the opposition. Um, the one good thing about Israelis, they, they know how to unite when they have to, and uh, right. right now they're united. Um, we just watched Admiral Kirby on television say uh, Joe Biden's always been a good friend of Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, everything I read is that is just not the case. What can you tell us? Yeah, look, I think the um, you know I think the relationship between Netanyahu and, and Biden uh, has been frayed. I mean, they. They, um, he's, he's treated them poorly. Uh, let's put it that way. I mean, he, he. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a prime minister who, after a year in office, had not had at least one visit to the Oval Office. You know, he, he came into the to the UN. He got he had to meet with Biden on the sidelines of the UN to could have met in the Oval, which is what which is much more befitting a prime minister. You know, they hadn't spoken in months before that. Um, it's not it's not a good relationship at all. I mean, Obama's relationship with Netanyahu also wasn't wasn't very good. Um, I, I think in a time of war, you know, given how uh, America is rallying behind Israel, and, and I have to tell you, I'm, I'm incredibly encouraged. You know, I mean, obviously there are pockets of, of crazy people who feel otherwise, but by, by and large, the vast majority of Americans are rallying behind Israel. I think Biden sees this as a political necessity to do the same. You know, he's running for election. Whoever. Whoever is the candidate for uh, on the Republican side, you know whether it's Trump or somebody else, is has a way better track record on Israel than Biden, and so he he, he needs to to do this politically. Um, so I think you know in the short run, Israel will get what it needs from America and will get their support. But you're right, the uh, the relationship between Netanyahu and Biden uh, over the last year has been has been under unbecoming. The relationship between America and the United States, between and Israel. Uh, Ambassador David Friedman, it's hard to believe you're in the middle of a war zone. I've talked to you three times now, and you, you're so calm and calculated uh, and concise. Thank you so much. 
My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. Uh, stay safe. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with you calls in a moment. Bottom of the hour, we talk to Batya Unger Sargon of Newsweek. More news when we get back on the next Speaker of the House. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So get this. Uh, they want to have a speaker by Wednesday. We all do. I think even Democrats do. Evidently behind closed doors. It was called a emotional meeting. This emerged at 11 o'clock today, Eastern time. Uh, and they have nobody. Uh, House Republicans huddled Monday for an emotional venting session over the party's leadership. Uh, now they have a planned vote. It's going to be Jim Jordan, Kevin McCarthy again. He said, I'll put me in if they want me, but I'm sure not enough do. Uh, a lot of do, oh, 210 do, but will the eight, will any of the eight flip? Probably not. And then Steve Scalise, I don't see anyone backing off. So far, nobody's backing off. And by the way, Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise see eye to eye. But you know who could be the kingmaker if not him? There's only a, the smallest chance that Kevin McCarthy's still a speaker. But he does not get along with Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise really, uh, he has his own physical problems, but he was kind of not a big deal. Tom Emmers kind of took his spot. They had some friction since 2018. So if Kevin McCarthy stands up and says, if you're going to vote for me, vote for Jim Jordan, that would be it. But the next in line is Steve Scalise. But Steve Scalise dealing with blood cancer and other things. And Jim Jordan is immensely popular with a huge profile. So Republicans, guys, work it out, please. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And if you want to understand the extent to which Jewish life and Israeli life has been dehumanized over the past several decades, just think about the number of CEOs and university presidents and celebrities who had immediate statements about the murder of George Floyd, about Black Lives Matter, about the war in Ukraine, about hate against Asians, about any number of other righteous causes. Where are they now? Why is my inbox not blowing up with emails and statements and posts from these people? It really tells you a lot about people who claim to care about justice, about, you know, who who tell you that words can cause violence and yet have nothing to say in the face of such utter, utter bloodshed. And that's Barry Weiss of Substack started it, left the New York Times, obviously, in in a big hoopla and hardly a, you know, I, I don't think she really, you know, political, if anything, she leans left. Not that it matters in that statement, but you don't really see much from celebrities. You don't see any outrage, which is I find that surprising. You know, are, are you anti-decapitating uh, babies? I think so. Uh, Batia Unger Sargon, uh, we had a great show planned, and unfortunately we had to blow it up when Hamas decided to raid and put this carnage into Israel, and now there's been some retaliatory strikes. She's a columnist for Compact Magazine, opinion editor for Newsweekends here in studio. Batia, that was a good point by, uh, by Barry Weiss. You don't really see much from the high-profile celebrities. 
has been um, really astonishing. First of all, Brian, I have to commend you on your coverage, um, oh, the morality you. of it, the compassion and the honesty and the truth of it. I've been glued to everything you've been doing. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I was talking to a friend this morning. She was saying to me, so she's Ukrainian and Jewish, and she said to me during the start of the Ukraine war, all of her friends, everybody was reaching out to her. Oh, do you know anybody there? Has anything happened this Silence, absolute silence. Business as usual. If you go on Instagram, all of the Instagrammers, just absolutely nothing to say about the greatest carnage we have seen in this century. Nothing to say. 40 babies have been burned, decapitated, murdered in their cribs, and not a word from these people who call themselves social justice warriors. And what they do, walk into a concert and just wiped out 260 people and took others hostage. We still don't have a number on the hostages. People can't relate to that after what happened in Las Vegas. And you just see, is that, you don't say to yourself, well, did they have it coming? Yeah, they went to a dance party. They had it coming. So a thousand people have been confirmed killed on that day by the Israeli government. That is the equivalent of 35,000 Americans if you compare the population size between Israel and America. Can you imagine if 35,000 Americans were murdered in their beds at a dance concert? I mean, what the reaction would be? The, the hostages were hearing 100 to 150, including Americans, including a Chinese citizen, including Brazilians, including a French citizen. I mean, where is the outrage? Where is the outpouring? I will say that there, there has been less support for Hamas than there has been in the past. So last time around when there was a conflict with Israel, you actually had members of Congress speaking up in support of Hamas. It seems to me that there's a little bit more sheepishness from the, you know, the, the, the erstwhile Hamas supporters. I think that the world cannot ignore what happened here. So Barack Obama came out and issued a statement, said all Americans should be horrified and outraged by the brazen terrorist attacks on Israel and the slaughter of innocent people. We grieve with those who died. Pay, pray for the safe return of those who've been held hostage and stand squarely alongside our ally Israel as it dismantles Hamas. As we support Israel's right to defend itself against terror, we must keep striving for a just and lasting peace for Israelis and Palestinians alike. What was, what's striking about that statement? So, first of all, Brian, how long it took for him to write it? Three days. Three days he couldn't think of something to say. And I just want to tell you that for a lot of people who would defend him back in the day when people would say this is a person who does not have the best interests of the Jewish community at heart. This is a person who does not like Israel. People like me who would defend President Obama, we feel really stupid right now. I could tell you that because it, when it takes you three days to come out and say something after the greatest atrocities of this century, it really, really is not a good look. And right. people are noticing. But let's play this out. And I can't tell you anything about this region. But who approached Iran and said, for who apologized in the Middle East for our actions in Egypt and welcomed the Muslim Brotherhood to take a seat front and center? Uh, and, we, and we welcomed the new leader of Egypt at that time. Thankfully, he was jailed and, and this guy took over. Hardly a great but democracy. But it was them that put the nuclear deal together and made all these concessions. And the nuclear deal was so unpopular when they put it to the Senate. It didn't get Senator Schumer's vote. It didn't get Senator Menendez's vote. It didn't get a Democrat's vote. It was not popular. It was not ratified. Trump came in and said, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to kiss up to them. They are the problem. And it gave birth because the sincerity and the, and the pushback and the sanctions were so strong and comprehensive. It gave birth to the possibility of the Abraham Accords. So if it wasn't for Iran... And the monies that they supply to Hamas and Hezbollah, this whole thing wouldn't have happened. And I'll tell you even one more thing. I'll go one step further. Israel's response right now 
whatever response it is going to take to these atrocities, um, it has the cover of the Abraham Accords. I mean, make no mistake about that, that the Middle East is different because of President Trump and thanks to President Trump alone, who has made it possible for Israel to have the kind of response that Israel believes it needs in a way that it never could have before the Abraham Accords, because now it knows that there are billions and billions and billions of Bahraini and UAE dollars invested in Israel, and they are simply not going to say to Israel, you don't have a right to defend yourself anymore. So how that is, uh, to me, that is so true, because even Trump's greatest critic, they said, you can't move the embassy, the world's going to go on fire. You know, you got, you have to, uh, Jared Kushner has no idea what he's doing in the Middle East. How dare you give your son-in-law this job? Uh, however, he went to school in the Middle East. He said, in fact, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, went, slept in his bedroom one night because him and his friend, him and his dad were so close, uh, they knew each other's entire life. And he did go to school and it did go ahead and outline this program at the blessing of the then Secretary of State. And it was gaining great momentum. And Saudi Arabia would have been done had Trump won. But he didn't. And they vilified this uh, prince, uh, this uh, MBS, because of what happened with uh, the right Khashoggi. And they said that we're going to make him a prior nation. They said, okay, this is over. And now we realize you know, it's not a choice of, of great neighbors. It's the best of a tough neighborhood, Saudi Arabia. The other thing that they did is told Saudi Arabia, stop bombing Yemen. Okay, you might say that's good. Well, you gave Houthi rebels control of that country. That is a, a surrogate of Iran. Iran just said, if you attack us, Israel, we're going to hit you from Yemen. We're going to hit you from Lebanon. And we're going to hit you from Gaza. These are all their surrogates. You had the expert class signed, seal, and deliver the Iran deal, which we see now how that, what that did, emboldening Iran. And then you had the neophytes in the Trump team develop the Abraham Accords and a peaceful region, right? So what does that tell you about the, the quote-unquote so-called expertise class right. and what they're worth? What, did this, what does this Rob Malley story do for you? He was one of the lead negotiators for the initial deal. And he was trying to reinvigorate it again. Then he, then he gets suspended and there's a major investigation. And Rob Malley, according to the New York Post, might have taken or might have engineered through a backdoor 50 to $80 billion to Iran. So important was this. Without ex- explanation, he was removed from this committee. What do you think's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to speculate beyond what we already know and what you've already spoken about. Um, I do think it is very important to stay focused on the issue at hand, on Hamas, on eradicating Hamas and doing so with as few casualties as possible. But, you know, the, 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 the focus for us as America should be how can we support Israel in its endeavors right now, in what it considers to be uh, in the best interests of its people, in protecting them, because as we know, the rockets are still flying. I mean, the rockets are still flying. So we have to keep Iran in perspective. We have to understand the the region and what is happening here. But the focus should be on how to make sure that this response can protect the lives of Israeli civilians. They've called up now 365,000. I mean, that's an unbelievable size army for a country as big as 8 million. They say, what, the size of New Jersey or uh, the size of Delaware? Um, And the question is now, if you just – where do you go in Gaza? They never wanted to go in there before because of how dense and how many casualties it could happen. And they know a lot of innocent people will die. At the same time, if you take care of Hamas and Iran is still able to do what they're doing, they'll recalibrate, form another group, and they'll be doing this again. 
we know that there were assassinations of these uh, nuclear scientists. How well positioned is Israel to act inside Iran? Uh, Israel is very well positioned. The question is whether that is the best move right now. Um, I think the best move for Israel is to continue trying to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia. I think the move that we should be making right now is immediately pressuring Egypt to open the southern border, its northern border with Gaza. I mean, people forget this, but Egypt has a border with Gaza through the Rafah crossing, which I is I think closed. it is open. Is it open? Uh, because I checked during, this morning and it was closed. On Fox and Friends, they said we got a report that it was open, which kind of worries me a little. Because if I'm one of these terrorists or these Hamas leaders, okay, going to Egypt, unless Egypt's going to open it up and through a checkpoint. Well, they need to allow the civilians to escape True. who want to. They need to allow them out. And it's, it's insane to ask Israel to do that in, in this moment. Um, there is a potential, you know, humanitarian situation there. There are a lot of innocent civilians. They've they shut off the power. They've shut go. off the water. They have, yes. They've stopped yes. the food from coming in. Yep. Total, total military siege, yes. What does it say to you when you see the exercises that are now taking place? Hamas released the video of them practicing with paragliders and dune buggies, of them practicing with these uh, uh, with these, uh, these uh, excavation machines, these trailers that busted through the wall, them going through different this entire operation and setting up these mini Israeli cities. Does it blow you away they were able to do that without being recognized? This was the greatest military fiasco in Israeli history. How did they not know it? Israel prides itself on its military intelligence. Where was the intelligence? Where was the U.S. intelligence? How did this happen? There has to be accountability. I mean, heads need to roll for this. People need to resign en masse. How did they allow this to happen? There's still no real understanding. There have been reports that Egypt warned Bibi Netanyahu that this was happening. But then there have been people who have said that that didn't happen. It's still very, very unclear. But people, the people need to know. We need answers. All right. We'll take a short time out. And we'll come back. We'll follow the latest in the war. Also, there's a big speaker search going on. RFK yesterday said, count me as an independent. And guess who you can count out? Most of his family has walked away from him. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'll be honest, I am angry. I am angry with the world that allowed the dehumanization of Israelis and sanitized the terrorism of Hamas. I must say, I love this show and I love this network. But I've got to ask, who is writing the scripts? Hamas? The people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants. And I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. It is a barbarian who rapes and brutalizes women who care, kills children in front of their parents and then brings them over to Gaza, who literally, we've heard all these reports, and we know these aren't just reports. These were filmed gleefully by the barbarians who committed these grotesque crimes. And that is uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, on MSNBC yesterday, because I've watched some of the MSNBC coverage, you would think this is, well, he's too hard to call who's wrong here. Does that blow you away, Batia? Yeah, I mean, the coverage has been very upsetting. Um, Jonathan was absolutely right. and But, but, but Brian, it's, it's crucial that your listeners understand. When he said that, 
that was before we knew, and we don't even yet know the full extent of the barbarism. But just this morning, there were Israeli reports from a kibbutz on, in the south of 40 babies who were killed in their cribs, decapitated, shot, dismembered, burned. The bodies of children, a truck full of burned bodies of children. If you don't know that there are two sides here and one of them is evil, like evil, and the other side is fighting evil, you are beyond redemption. That rage in Jonathan Greenblatt's voice came before he even knew about this. That's how horrific this week has been. And just wait, we find out what's going on with the other 160 hostages. They say every time there's a bombing, they're going to kill a hostage. We haven't heard anything yet. Then we heard a report that they were handed over to the Islamic Jihad, who nobody can contact outside Iran, who we're not dealing with. So I don't know if their their fate can people should be positive about their fate. Yeah, and uh, we know now that there are foreign nationals among those hostages. We don't know if they're alive. We don't know if they're dead. We know that the families of the hostages are struggling to get in touch, not just with the Israeli government, but the ones, the families of people who are missing or dead, who are American citizens, can't get in touch with the American government. I mean, what is going on with that? A mother doesn't know if her child is alive or dead and cannot get through to the government? What is happening? Well, there's no ambassador. Jack Lew, I guess, was nominated a few weeks ago. I'm sure the Senate would rush his confirmation through. As the president even asked, he had a barbecue yesterday and put the lid on at 1140 on Sunday, put the lid on at 1145 yesterday. People say, well, he had to sit down with Robert Hurd, the investigator on his Corvette documents. Excuse me. If you want to put off that meeting, I'm sure you would have put it off. Uh, this is a national crisis. Number two is, can you have somebody else called Chuck Schumer and say, speed this thing along? But having said that, there's usually an infrastructure there. And I was just struck by I put up the sound in between when the hostage families were talking and one of the uh, fathers said, is there anybody here from the U.S. Embassy? Total silence. And he shook his head. He goes, I guess not. So while, Jack, while Admiral Kirby is telling our network, I don't know for sure that Americans are being held in Gaza. We don't know that for sure. The families are having a press conference saying, I can't get a hold of the administration. It's absolutely unbelievable. There is such a failure of leadership, a failure of leadership, a total lacuna where you would expect and need to have the leader of the free world standing up and telling us what to make of this, helping the families through this and telling us what next steps are going to happen. And 11 Americans have lost their lives. That is confirmed, uh, sadly. Uh, Meanwhile, the president is doubling down on hosting Oh, double down on hosting that staff party when asked again about it. Uh, he says they, these people needed a night off. We wanted to honor those people who have been working hard. If I'm the president, I don't have it. And if I do have it, there's no band. And I do have it. I'm not going. Guys, they can understand what's going on. We could be on the cusp of a world war. I don't think that's a good look. I don't think my really heart's be in it. Go ahead. Have some hamburgers. I'm not going to do it. Also thought it was interesting, too. The Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, quickly deleted this tweet in a joint tweet with the Turkish foreign minister, said he spoke on a Hamas terrorist attack on Israel. I encourage uh, uh, the foreign minister, the Turkish foreign minister, advocacy for a ceasefire and release of all hostages held by Hamas immediately. A ceasefire after a thousand people are killed, three thousand wounded, nine bases breached, rockets still flying, and he's asking for a ceasefire with Turkey. We can't offer our own communiques. 
It's like you go and rape somebody and then you say to them, oh, oh, you know what? Now we're going to have peace, right? Like all, you know, back to normal. Let's restore everything. You know, I'm going to come to your house and shoot your entire family and then tell you, oh, now, now we're going to go ceasefire. Now suddenly everything is going to go quiet. Now we're going to go back to how things were. No, no, that is not how it works. If 35,000 Americans were murdered in one day and somebody had the gall to tell us it's time for a ceasefire, the people who perpetrated it. I don't think we would pay much attention to that. And the fact that that came from Anthony Blinken. The Secretary of State. Just unbelievable. And instead of explaining it, the coward just simply deletes it as if he didn't say it. All right. Batia Unger-Sargon from Newsweek, columnist for Compact Magazine. Uh, thanks so much, Batia. We'll watch all the developing stories. Thanks so much for your insight. Thank you. All right. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.